1: Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends, the weekly spin-off podcast which sort of generally devolves into random chit-chat. I'm Paul Verhoeven, that's my dad, John Verhoeven. See him? He's waving. Hi Hi, everyone.
2: Hi. Hi. (laughs) How you doing, Dad? I'm great, Paul. I'm really enjoying um, reaching out to all our listeners. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm content. We're moving all as a planet towards Christmas. Not that everyone celebrates Christmas, but... You know, it is, it's been around for a few years. You and Tegan are coming up to spend time with us at Christmas, which is lovely. We haven't had a Christmas with you for a while.
1: Years, literally years, yeah.
2: Mm. And you and Tegan are also coming up, I believe, at the beginning of January because your new podcast, Dish Island, is getting, I think you're up for some award.
1: Yeah, we nominated for an award at the Australian Podcast Awards, which is so nice. And also, Dad, when you did your episode of Dish Island, we had lots of loose units listeners flood across and listen mm. and... So, yeah, there's a lot of people listening right now who listen to Dish Island, who enjoy the show, and yeah, we're up for an award at the uh, Australian Podcast Awards, so we'll probably- I hope you week.
2: win. I hope you win. Thanks. I, we, we, I, I went to represent you and me a few years ago at the same award. Did we win? I had, I had my speech prepared and everything. Uh-huh. I wasn't going to talk about uh, anything to do with loose units. I may never have told you that, but I was actually going to get up and talk about fasting. Why? Because I really love fasting, and I just thought it would be quite funny and quirky that night. But you'll be pleased to know, Paul, that... uh, Well, not pleased, but... I mean, you'll be pleased and not pleased. You'll be pleased that (laughs) I didn't get up and talk about fasting.
1: You kept making train noises when we started the show. Mm. Uh, We started the record, and I cut them out, obviously, but... Mm. Uh, And then you mentioned you had something to talk about that was train-related. I'm currently sitting across from a train station Mm. watching these things barrel past. Mm. Several of your biggest cases have been train-related. You know, the girl under the train. Mm. Um, I can't think of a single other one. Uh, But, yeah, why did you want to talk about trains this morning? Is this going to be one of those episodes where you just reveal that you're a train spotter and that's kind of one of your secret hobbies, or is it more juicy than that?
2: Well, I'm not... um a trained spotter, but when I was a young boy living in Armadale, a country town in sort of regional New South Wales for listeners that don't know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because there's another Armadale different spelling in Melbourne, of course. What was that noise, Paul? Paul? I hope that wasn't what I think it was. <laughs> so?
1: Sorry, what were you saying?
2: Sorry, sorry. So I'm lying in bed this morning. And every morning I wake up really early, like 5.30, and I I have a go-to news platform, which is the BBC News, which I really like, and they had a story this morning about a Japanese train driver who was fined by the Japanese Rail Network for departing, now let me think about this, 20 seconds later than he should have, Okay. Yeah, and they fined him. And the fine was approximately, if you factor in, and I'll use Australian um, currency, mm-hmm. the fine was seventy cents. Okay, right. They took it out of his wage because they did a calculation that wasn't that weird. We just heard a train noise just then. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. So they took it out of his salary because they they deemed that that twenty seconds he was not actually working. And then he, he appealed, and they reduced the fine to 50 cents. This is two years ago. Right. He did not accept the, the ruling, and he's appealed to one of the high courts in Japan, and he's now suing the Japanese railway for a, might I say, Paul, a hefty sum. We're talking in the, in, now in the tens of thousands of dollars. Hang on, why is he suing them? For mental anguish because he's been so consumed with this whole thing, and it can give you an example of the the madness, perhaps on both sides. I mean, it's fairly bizarre. But then I started to do some research on the Japanese rail network, um, and and they they actually do run on time, as opposed to other countries that say they run on time, but they actually don't. Yes, because they they sort of have different things, which then made me think about a wonderful letter that I received from one of our listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been aware of this particular story for some time. We've been communicating and I asked him, would he be able to give us, you and me, for our listeners an abridged version of his story? And this is a train-related story? It's a train-related story. So this particular gentleman who has given me... Sort of carte blanche to use all the details, including his name. But you and I have discussed off-air, Paul, that we won't use his name, but we will say that he is a train driver in Western Australia. Okay, that's a okay. fact. So I am going to, and this is very, very unusual, listeners, for Paul and myself to actually read something. But it's so beautifully written, um, and I think it's a it's a positive, it's a sad story, it's a positive story. Um, but I think the listeners on Loose Units are very, very, um, very fortunate to be able to listen to a first hand account of, because we all hear these stories on the news, unfortunately, quite regularly. But I think to actually get into and delve into the person, and this person is so, uh, tells such a, a touching story that I think. It's 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 a it's a wonderful opportunity to experience as best we can um, something that is is quite quite horrific but mm. quite um, quite intense. And I think I don't I don't recall in my life ever um, being able to sort of read or you know put this out. And I think it's 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 I really do appreciate um, the lovely um, you know the permission he's given us. So, if I may, Paul, I'd like to start the story. Yep.
0: Um...
2: Post your free job on linkedin.com/slash people today. And it's just titled My Story. So here's my open and honest account of the most batshit insane event in my life. So picture this: it's 5am, the sun is peeking over the hills on another atypical Perth sunrise of flame and colour. It's Christmas Eve, kids are excited. Weather is perfect, and everything that Christmas is about is enticingly close. I'm driving an empty train to an outer suburb to begin my first service back into town. I remember distinctly thinking how good is my job. How good is this time of year, as I've said earlier today to you, in that photo. He sent me the most amazing photo from the cabin of a train just a few days ago. Here's another awesome sunrise, and I get to see, despite my zero three hundred forty five that's 3.45am sign on time. Then I see in the shadows of a station I'm approaching, a middle-aged man standing on my running line, attempting to climb back onto the platform. I'm doing maybe 70 kilometers an hour. I'm 20 meters away from him, and the last thing I noticed is that he looks intoxicated like a drunk man trying to climb a ladder very, very slowly. I realised very quickly that what was about to happen I could not stop. My life was about to change. It was very unnerving being a passenger in this horrible unfolding event. There was nothing else I could do apart from cover my eyes with my hands, repeat the words fuck, fuck, fuck and wait for the bang. And what a bang it was. Loud, solid and final. I'll never forget that sound. The rail car comes to a stop about 150 metres further on. I call up three immortal words no driver ever wants to say. Emergency, emergency, emergency. Followed by my call sign. That radio call gives me priority. Let's everyone else know to stay off the radio and alerts train control and the security shift commander to prepare their emergency response team. We are told to stay in our cab and do not go back. There's no use checking for signs of life. It's not my job, but more importantly, once you see something, you can't unsee it. Control advise that security are on their way And by now they will have checked the station video footage to confirm what's just unfolded. It seems like an eternity. I'm waiting for relief, knowing what has just happened, but not knowing what I'm supposed to feel. I felt numb, disbelief, complete what the fuck do I do now? Transit officers our railway police, arrived at my cab door and asked if I'm okay, offering me some water, then walk me out front of the rail car to a gate on the pierway fence and sit with me on the side of the road. Right now I'm trying to process what has happened and I'm fully aware of not looking back at my train or the situation unfolding on the station platform. The depot has sent out two drivers... One to bring me back and one to take over the rail car. It probably took me about half an hour to get the ability to stand and say, I'm ready to go. And as we drive off, I had a glance at my train and saw about six transit officers and eight uniformed police all doing their jobs. It was quite surreal. When I arrive back at the depot, I go through the standard process of a drug and alcohol test, which was fine. I fill out a few forms, giving the coroner and national rail regulator access to the results. Sorry, a psychologist comes in to talk to me privately. It was then I went through all the stages of grief, denial, anger, and about seven, sorry, in about seven minutes. It was just crazy to lose control of my emotions, my motor functions. I later looked at my signature and it was like a tiny little chicken scratching and my ability to calm myself. I was a total wreck. It all came out. After a couple of hours, they drove me home. 11am-ish, I think. And I walked in the front door to my wife and two children, and his daughter looked up at him and said, are you finished work already? And here is the next bizarre thing, John. This is where I realized I had to lie to protect this false sense of everything is fine to everyone. "'except, of course, my lovely wife. "'Yes, I've finished for the day,' I replied. "'Father, Christmas is coming tonight, Daddy,' she said. "'I know, isn't that exciting?' "'John, for the most part, Christmas and New Year's "'is a time of family, cheer, celebrations, get-togethers, "'and all that regular, normal, excuse stuff "'to have a nice beer, great food, "'and the lovely socialising that goes with it. "'For me,' It was nearly two months of constant lying to everyone about how good I was, how I enjoyed my work. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, cheers, smiles, hugs. It was exhausting and totally not me. I felt tired inside, trying to keep the facade up. I couldn't really reply to a how are you with fine. had a fatality last week, yeah, it was fucked. I kept up my regular chats with my psychiatrist who gave me methods to cope and and process what had happened. I think one of the worst effects was every night around midnight, I would wake up and watch on my head the last 15 seconds just before the bang. On repeat, over and over and over. For two hours, I would lay there awake for weeks and weeks. I'd wake up exhausted. A bit over two months later, I told a couple of people what had happened. I felt better after doing that, and I became more comfortable in talking about it. I knew it wasn't my fault. I'm back at work full-time now and back in my happy place. I love my job and don't and didn't want this incident to be the reason I would leave. So there you go. It's a big, long-winded and detailed, but for me... There's really one way to tell the story, and that is in its entirety. The weird thing is, John, is that I've never met you, but I feel if there was any stranger to read this story and who would be able to relate and empathise, it's yourself. I'm in a good place now where it's more of an event in my history than a current tragedy I'm dealing with. Oh, and as a footnote as to why... The old mate on the tracks, or what happened to him, they ran the footage to the station to see how he came to be there. He arrived at the station in the wee hours well after the last train had f- and he had fallen asleep on the platform. During the night, he's rolled off the platform onto the track and kept sleeping. It's only as I was approaching that the vibrations or noise had woken him up and he's tried to get out of the way. <sighs> It's a tragedy that instead of walking one way and getting out of the way, he has tried to climb back onto the platform. Toxicology report came back, and it's a very high reading. that's all I'll say. I took some comfort in the fact it was an accident and nothing malicious, i.e. suicide. Sounds probably weird, I don't know. Thanks for reading, and cheers. So that's the story, Paul.
1: Well, that's the kind of perspective on things that
2: you dealt with that
1: we've never really heard on the show before of, you know, because I remember with the girl under of the train, there was a driver of that train and that driver would have had to deal with the fact mm. that someone had
2: jumped in front of the thing. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's, um, I think it's very, very interesting and I really do greatly appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the tenderness the trust. and the, yeah. the trust and, and being able to, and, and, and trusting you and me to, to put it out there on our on our platform and Mm. um and i'm grateful and i think it's a it's a pretty um it's a tough story but it's 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 a kind of a it makes you realize and hopefully you know the next time people hear about someone being you know just spare a thought for the the, the train driver
1: i often think about tragedies and the people who were you know, um, in the driver's seat when these things happen, and in the case of a train, and then that thing can't stop. It's there's nothing they could have done. Um, but yeah, that's really sad.
2: I hope he's okay. It mm-hmm. sounds like he's doing better, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in communications, and he's he sends me photos of the most glorious sunrise and sunsets, and he's just yeah, and he's got a wonderful family. And when here we are coming back to Christmas, and
1: all right, well, I mean, I I wouldn't want to kind of trivialize that story by you know, doing anything at kind a of flippant or whatever afterwards. But I think that's a pretty good point to stop this episode mm, and uh, and wrap up for the week. But listen, everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends. We talk about different stuff from the regular show every uh, every Friday. That's kind of what this show is. It's, 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 you know, it's a place for Dad and I and all of you to come together and just sort of, you know, shoot the shit and get things off our chest and... Sometimes it's crime-related, sometimes it's not. But that's what this show is. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening to this new season of the show. We're really enjoying ourselves. We're looking forward to next week's episode. And yeah, we'll see you really soon for more Loose Units.
0: Have a great weekend, everyone. And cheerio.